morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Appreciate you making us your church home for an hour today. Uh, today is Campus Sunday. I am donning my George Mason garb. My son is the campus minister there, George Mason. And though I'm a graduate of Indiana University, he said, Dad, you will wear this today. <laughs> so thus I am. We love to reach out to the college campuses here in the metropolitan area. Our outreach extends to Maryland University through our church downtown that we planted. Uh, we also are reaching out to Howard University. We're reaching out to Georgetown University, George Washington, and American. Here in Virginia, we are reaching out to George Mason University and Northern Virginia Community College. Our goal is to hit all of the college campuses in the metropolitan area and have vibrant outreaches that touch campus kids in such a way that they understand the purpose for which they have been put on the planet. College kids aren't any more or less loved by God than anybody else, but they are targeted by us because God has called us to reach them. And we don't do that to the exclusion of the rest of our community. We just intentionally do it differently than the rest of our community. Primarily because the church, for the most part, doesn't reach out to college campuses very much. When I say the church, I'm talking about the church overall. And there's a reason. Because most of the church is like me, 50-something. Most of the leadership of the church has more gray in their beard than not. And so they don't know how to relate to campus kids at all. Secondly, when they do so, eh, the... When the offering's taken up, you can hear it. <laughs> kids, college kids don't have any money. They can't pay for buildings. They can't pay for outreach. They can't pay for missions. They are the mission. So you've got to adapt your whole personality, everything you do, and then you're doing it to such an extent that now you've, you've really targeted them, but they're not giving you any sense of paying the light bills. And, and so there are a lot of reasons, practical and relational, that make the church think that the college ministry is for college kids. Let them do it. We don't know how. But that's where I came from. Your pastor was ministered to by a campus ministry on a college campus. And as a result of me getting right with God there, I'm yours. Everything about what I do wants to go back to what, what found me, where I was birthed, and make sure that leaders from that environment have the opportunity to hear the gospel just like everybody else. And if it costs me more than I have to pay, I'm happy to give it. I'm not looking for anything from them. I want to give everything to them. Because somebody gave everything to me and I had nothing to give back. And somehow or another, it, it seems to have paid off a little bit. Just a little, just, just a little. <clears throat> Turn with me over to the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at a story, a parable, that kind of highlights what I just said, and I'm going to weave my story of salvation through there so you can understand the importance of campus ministry. The title of the message is The Parables of Christ, Seeing Big in Small. Kingdoms influence. Seen big in small. Kingdoms influence. Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. Matthew 13, verses 31 
and 32. Speaking of Jesus, it says, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And the seed, verse 32, is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Two things on this passage I'd like to talk to you about. One is the sower and the other is the seed. Now, last week, we highlighted Matthew chapter 13 earlier and Mark chapter 4 regarding the parable of the sower and how the sower goes out to sow the seed. Some of the seed fell among the path. Some fell in the rocky soil. Some fell among thorny soil. And then some fell on the good soil and reaped 160 and 30-fold. We talked about how important it is for the soil to be prepared well to receive the seed if God is to receive that which he intended the seed to produce. Today we're going to continue with that theme, but it's not so much the scattering of the seed as it is the planting of the seed. And we want to talk about the sower. And he says, Jesus, Jesus said, a man took, a, took some seed and he, and he sowed it in his garden. And there is an intentionality that we all need to have with respect to our, our willingness to receive that which God wants to give. Meaning you've got a garden that needs to be planted. You've got soil that needs to be tilled and, and cultivated so that it can receive that which God wants to, to put in it. And you need to be people that are sowing into those kinds of environments. We need to look at ourselves as those who receive and those who distribute. Most Christians only look at themselves as those who receive. And I realize when you get born again and the the, the pressures of this world cause you to need an environment like this in order to, to become more normal, to face your challenges with the right biblical solution so that you can get the right biblical results. I really do get it. And so coming to church for most Christians is about a therapeutic moment. It's about seeing them healed. It's about seeing them get more right. It's about seeing them apply these solutions, hopefully getting solutions that they can apply to make their lives more biblically ordered. And that's good. But if you've been doing that for 20 years, and you haven't thought about the distribution process, you're missing out on the fullness of the kingdom because the whole point in planting the seed was to get fruit. And not just fruit that you can enjoy, but the end product that Jesus talks about is a tree that has branches in which others can nest. So your life is supposed to be a benefit to somebody else. That's why Jesus planted the seed in your soil. In the soul of your being, he put this kingdom down there so that you might grow into something. So we're going to talk about it in two two respects. One, receptivity. The other, distribution. Those who are coming today primarily just to receive, boy... The process needs to be like this. You need to put yourself in a position where your ears are ready to listen. You're not just clocking in religiously. I'm glad you're here. Being here or in church in general. Not talking about we're better than any other because we're not. We've got our flaws. But being in church on a Sunday is better than not. I'm glad for you. I really am. 
but don't think you're doing God any favors by being here. I mean, from his perspective, he's saying, what took you so long? You, you, you come once every four. What's wrong with you? I'm trying to help you. You need to be here every Sunday. And you need to figure out how you can be a part, not just sit on Sunday for an hour a week. You need to get involved in the church and become serving. So I, though I'm happy you're here, there's more. There's so much more for you. So you need to come ready to hear well so you can do well. It's not just about clocking in and saying, well, I did my deed for God. I went to church, and I really stepped it up this week. I even read my Bible on Monday. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, I'm getting real spiritual. Progress is always good, but please, you have not arrived yet. Sorry to disappoint you. There needs to be a mindset that says, whatever this sower, meaning the pastor, and I'm not the best sower. Jesus is much better. I'm a poor, poor example of whatever he would do. I am so much less than that it's really hard for you. There should be no comparison between who he is and who I am. But I'm, I'm yours. I'm, I'm what you came to hear today. So my point is you got to at least get what you can out of me. Squeeze as much information out of what I'm trying to say so that you can be better as a result of coming here. Make your time count. Make it count. Don't waste it. Listen to what I'm saying. And, 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 and back in the 80s, we actually used to take notes. They, we had things called pencils. Y'all don't know what those are anymore. You have your writing utensils. We actually used to record things. And, and, and I, I, how, what are you doing with the information that's being given? Are, are you logging it? Are you saying, Lord, okay, I got that, I got that, I got that. Now I'm, I'm going to put this in. You need to listen well. You don't just need to hear. Because Jesus talked about a couple of guys in Matthew chapter 7, both of whom heard. And one heard and didn't obey. As a result, he went to build his house. And he built it on sand, not on the solid foundation of the rock. The other heard and obeyed. He said, I'm going to build my house on the rock. I'm not just going to be happy about what I heard. I'm going to do what I heard. I'm not just going to be satisfied with clocking in. I'm actually going to let it transform my life. I'm going to build my house. I'm going to move away all the impediments to stability and build my house on the rock. And a storm came. And none of us are impervious to the storm. This is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. None of us can, can take detours around the storm. I'm sorry to report there's a storm heading to your life. It's right around the corner. Six months, a year, three months, tomorrow, I don't know. But it's on its way. And when it comes, it's coming with fierceness. It's coming with the kind of devastation that's going to surprise you. And when it comes, that's not a good time to begin your construction project. Nobody can build anything in a storm. You better start building in the calm. When the sun's shining, you better take it to heart. Start building now. The guy who decided not to build on what Christ said, not to do what Christ said, not to move away any impediments to a good foundation, 
storm came and destroyed his house. Jesus described it not just as a storm storm. He said the, the floods rose and the rain fell and the wind beat against that house. And when it fell, great was its fall. We would say it was awesome. It was epic. The kind of fall that they put on the weather channel. You know when they see those huge uh, storms come through and floods in the rivers and the, the banks of the river begin to etch away at, 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 at the river, the water begins to etch away at the river banks and the houses that are on the, on the, right on the river, and the, the, then the porch falls and then the roof falls and then all, and epic, that kind of fall. But the guy who built his house on the rock, wow, he lost some shutters. Shingles flew off, but he was dry. He had shelter. How are you doing with what's being said? What are you doing with what's being said? You got you to gotta listen well. You got to grasp it. And you have to have an intentional uh, desire, an intentionality about obeying that which you know you are hearing that's biblical. Lord, I'm going to put it into practice. So the sower has to be the one that distributes, but the listeners who want to be sowers and want to have the word sown in their soil so that they can actually grow and become kingdom-oriented have to be those that are ready to listen the way they should. Now, everything about what Jesus is saying here is describing kingdom reality. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. And the kingdom of heaven is God's, God's benefit to mankind that helps them live best. The kingdom of heaven is much bigger than the church. The kingdom of heaven are the principles of truth that help to govern mankind well. So any place where you see men and women being treated well, those are principles of the kingdom. God has concentrated the principles of the kingdom most in the church. Why? Because we actually believe all of our Bible and we want to, to, to figure out how to implement it in everything that we do. And so the church ought to be the greatest place where you can learn the most about the kingdom because we're not trying to, to, to dilute anything in order to appease society. We're not selling anything. All we're doing is presenting truth in its, in its greatest and most pure fashion without adultery. And so we are trying to figure out how we can get it into you. This is what the church ought to be, literally an embassy of the kingdom. An outpost of glory. A place where you can go and figure out what heaven looks like. That's the way the church is supposed to be. When Jesus asked us to learn how to pray, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? How? He wants his kingdom here. And the best place where it can be represented without any delusion is the church. Because that's the church's function. Now, when you go to Burger King, you won't see anybody with a Bible in hand trying to give you a, a sermon as you're going through the drive-thru. But you will see some people who are trying to work faithfully. Putting in principles that God made so that you can get your food on time. They've actually learned how to be honest to some degree, so they give you change. <laughs> Listen, we take it for granted. But these are kingdom principles. Honesty, truth, where does that come from except the Bible? Some people take kingdom principles and they use them wrongly. Is this where Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force? 
some people say, I, I understand what diligence looks like. I know what hard work will yield. So I'm going to work 80, 90 hours a week and offer my family on the altar of my career. And I'm going to get my dollar. I'm going to achieve my success. I'm going to rise up the corporate ladder and become what I need to be. Well, you know, 10 years later, kids are graduating from college. They hate their dad. Mom doesn't want to have anything to do with them because she says, you weren't around. Divorce. They took a kingdom principle by force. By force. They didn't submit to it. They took it by force for their own gain, and they lost other stuff. People abuse principles of the kingdom, but hard work will yield you benefit. Kingdom principles are everywhere. And, and you sit there and you say, well, why in the world would, would God let truth be given to other people who don't love him? Because God loves people. You think he wants everybody to be stupid? <laughs> Deprived? Have no provision? He loves people. Hmm. Genesis 4, the line of Cain. Genesis 5, the line of Seth. Genesis 5 is the redemptive line through whom would come Abraham and ultimately the Messiah. Genesis 4, we don't know. It just stops and gives no more detail. But we know that Genesis 5 was everybody who would do something good and those who should have done something good and the story why they didn't. And so we have the redemptive story of how we got to be right. And it goes all the way from Genesis 5 through the New Testament. It's the, the, the scarlet thread of redemption that comes all the way to Grace Covenant Church at 4600 Brookfield. Hallelujah. I mean, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. But Genesis 4, you sit there and say, well, what happened to those folk? Well, you, you, we don't know. We, they became the other nations. But we do know this, that in Genesis 4, God gave them some wisdom that he didn't give Genesis 5 folk. They became domesticators of animals. The first ones, they actually built barns for animals and booths, it says. And then one guy named Jubal created music with a, with a little thingy-bingy. I don't know what it was, kind of like a, 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 a flute or something. Well, thank God for Jubal because... <laughs> so I'm not mad that other people have taken kingdom principles and made them work. It, it has no impact. Some people, person came to me and said, well, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in society outside of Scripture that it seems that other people in Scripture adopted as their own, like Abraham, you know, the covenantal thing that he did there with, with uh, the, 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 the splitting of the animals. That was really a thing that happened by other people, and he adopted. I said, so? Does, that doesn't do anything to delegitimize truth. That simply meant God had, had, had given truth to somebody and said, this truth will work. And I'll go ahead and manifest myself through it. He cares about everybody. Now, the greatest amount of truth that leads to the most proper conclusion is Scripture. And so simply because other people have borrowed truth here and there and wrapped a, lot of whole, a whole lot of lies around it doesn't delegitimize the fact that simply because there's truth over here and truth over here that looks alike that, that somehow scripture is less profound. It simply means that God cares about people and doesn't want them to be stupid forever. And the Bible is a place where all the most concentrated revelatory truth can benefit mankind the most. 
This is how he spoke the best to all of mankind. And there is no non-truth in it. It's all truth. There are a lot of truth out there that has a lot of lie wrapped around in other places. But here, this Bible, all truth. Are you listening to me? Kingdom is bigger. It's much bigger than church. Kingdom is that which allows for truth and goodness to be seen throughout all of humanity. And this is the mercy of our good God, is that he cares about people like that. And even when they don't like him, he loves them. Even when they don't like him, he loves them. <laughs> and, and it shows a lot about us, because we say, oh, you don't like me? I'm going to let you live in stupidity for the rest of your days. You're not going to have any food. You're not, in fact, your days are going to be real short. We judge them in a minute. Anybody happy God didn't do that with you before you came to the knowledge of the truth? <clears throat> Please do not, do not confuse his mercy with neglect. Simply because he lets bad people get away with bad things doesn't mean he's neglectful. It does amplify his mercy, though. And when you see stuff happening where you think, where were you, God? Remember, he was there, just like he was there with you and didn't judge you immediately when you did your dirt. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not just. It means he leads with mercy. He's going to judge, and everybody's going to get what they got coming to him. Everybody. Even us Christians. And what that means is what we got coming to us, Jesus already took. <laughs> now, if you don't let Jesus take your punishment, you get what's coming to you. But all I got coming to me is a pathway of kindness and mercy and an invitation to say, come close. That's all I got coming to me. Not because I'm so good, but because he took my whooping. God's merciful. He's so merciful. So when we talk about the kingdom, it's much larger. But he says the kingdom itself, like he wants it to grow, how it's intended to grow, not just to be used by others for their own gain, but how it's intended to grow is in seed form, and it needs to be received well, and then it needs to be sown well. I'm begging you all so that which you have received, give. If you have freely received it, make sure you freely distribute. Do something. Don't just relegate ministry to my job or something that the church staff should do. You ought to be a minister wherever you are. I was at Indiana University, walking from one class to another, 20 years old, March 1981. Crossing over a bridge, a young man was standing there. I crossed past him. As I passed him, he yelled out to me, not yelled, but spoke loud enough because he had to get my attention. He said, you a Christian? I was offended because he didn't even say hello. <laughs> and I retorted back with pride. Depends on your definition. That's really the wrong answer. <laughs> and for the next 20 minutes, he gave me the right definition. I was completely undone. And I said, who, who are you? And 
He said, well, <clears throat> my name is Randy, and uh, his name is Randy Young. He said, uh, I came from Mississippi on spring break to, uh, to do an outreach and to minister to you. Now, at this point in my life, I was as far away from God as I'd ever been. I'd grown up in church, probably, probably made two or three decisions for Jesus as I was growing up. But I never either submitted to discipleship or nobody ever offered it. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just telling you my, my circumstances. So I wasn't right, and I was as far away from God as I'd ever been at Indiana. And he caught me at just the right time. And after he preached the gospel to me, I was undone. I mean, my mind was just thinking, God, I'm an idiot. But the thing that impacted me equally as much as his preaching the gospel was the fact that, that a fellow from Mississippi on spring break, he was from Mississippi State University, he was a student, on spring break, came north. <laughs> you go south? You go to Padre Island, that's what we did. You go to the Caribbean, you go to the Bahamas, you go any place, but you don't go north. And I looked at him and said, why'd you come here? Indiana? We just had snow last week. Why did you come here? He said, to minister to you. And he was a sophomore at Mississippi State. I said, I, in my mind, I said, I've never seen a Christian like you in my life. I was blown away, went back to my dorm room, said, God, what was that? I know I'm far from you, but that guy is so close. I can't even describe what it's supposed to be like as a Christian. I've never seen anybody like him. I've only seen other people who kind of were sort of, but never anybody like him, like me, because he was like me, and I'm not like him. He was amazing. He invited me to a meeting two nights later, and I went. It was supposed to be a, a ball player named James Jones, played for the Dallas Cowboys. Couldn't help it, he was drafted there. <laughs> he was supposed to be giving his testimony, and I really wanted to hear this ball player talk. I show up, he didn't. He had something else to do with the family. This thing came up, another preacher was there. There were a bunch of students in the room, but only 25 of us. That's it. And of the 25, only two were, were guests. The guy who was sitting next to me and me. And we knew we were the only two because as they started praise and worship with a guy on a guitar singing country songs, and I wanted to run. <laughs> I wanted to run. I wanted, I wanted to run real bad. He was singing country songs. I thought, oh, my goodness, this is not what I planned. This, I did not think this was going to be that. 25 people and and we knew everybody was was more right than us because they were all doing this and we were doing this <laughs> I didn't know the guy next to me but I knew him and me were in the same boat <laughs> the preacher got up and began to preach and he was powerful um, a man named Nick Pappas an amazing communicator of the gospel at the very end he said, if Jesus were to walk through that door right now, how many of you all would go with him? And everybody raised their hand except this guy. <laughs> I wanted to real bad because I knew how much I would stand out if I didn't. But the Holy Ghost just wouldn't let me do it. I had to keep my hand up. The preacher saw that we didn't raise our hands. He looked at me first. He said, how come you wouldn't go? 
uh, uh, I didn't, I, what, what, you, it's public, what, what do, you, you don't have any theological right answers. Is it pride? Yeah, pride, 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 pride. <laughs> Literally, this is hot wit. Yeah, pride, pride, pride. Stand up and repent. Had me say the prayer. I sat, sat down. He said, give the Lord a hand. I went, oh. Everybody was clapping. I thought, this, these people are really weird. They're, they're, oh, gosh, what did I just do? I don't know what happened. This is, oh, oh, Lord, help me. The pastor of the church was so mortified about how that happened. Afterwards, he said, can I talk to you in the back? So he brought me back there. He said, listen, I'm sorry. That's not how we do what we do. <laughs> That will never happen again, I can promise you that. If you will just give me another opportunity to help you get right the right way, he said, I, I promise you, it'll, it'll, it'll be a benefit to you. Can you meet me here on Monday? Now, this was Saturday night. I said, yeah. Came back on Monday. He went through a Bible study with me. And he knew I was out of it because I was thinking about everything I needed to do to give up, to be right, and I just, I, I wouldn't listen to a thing he said. He said, by the way, you got one leg that's shorter than the other? I said, yeah, but, but how'd you know? Because there was no noticeable problem. I did triple jump in college, and I messed up my back as a result, and one leg was shorter, about half an inch, three-quarter of an inch. Didn't walk with a limp. Nope. Nobody knew. <clears throat> I said, how'd you know? He said, God wants to heal you. I said, but how'd you know? <laughs> he said, I'd like to pray for you. Now, I was, a, I was a fairly, at least, experienced Baptist, and if somebody said in the Baptist church they were going to pray for you, that meant later. That didn't mean now. It didn't mean now. And so I thought that was the end of the conversation. And I took out my hand to say bye. I was getting ready to walk out the door. And he said, no, I want to pray for you now. He said, sit back in the chair. So I sat back. He said, lift up your leg. Lift up my leg. Sure enough, one was sure. About like that. I don't know if you can see it. And he said, uh, he said I'm praying God's going to grow your leg out. I went... <laughs> I mean, as skeptical as anybody could. No faith in my heart at all. None. None. I'd, I'd never seen anything like I was as center-oriented as possible. He prayed. Things started popping in my right knee. In my back, things started stretching. I literally yelled out in the church, Ow! And I looked at his hands, and I thought maybe he was pulling my leg. Because my eyes are closed. That's what you do when you pray. Your eyes are closed. I thought maybe he, was pull he wasn't pulling my leg. He actually had his hands like this. And my right leg was growing. And in 45 seconds, I sat there. He said, well, your legs are even. I, said, I got up, I went. He said, lift up your hands and praise God. I didn't know how to do that. I've never done that in my life to God. Now I'm a professional now, you know. I, 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 can, make it, I can make it happen all kind of ways. But I've never done it before. He said, God just healed you. That's how much he loves you. And, and at this point, we had the Iran crisis situation with hostages over there. There were so many things wrong in the world. And my mind said, God, you took time to fix my, my problem that wasn't a problem. I didn't have any issues. I was, nobody, 
It wasn't a debilitating thing. And you, I ran all the way back to my dorm. And it was, it was three quarters of a mile. I ran as fast as I could because we didn't have cell phones. And I got on the phone, called my mama. And I said, Mama, God grew my leg out. <laughs> Not the greatest way to start a conversation. She didn't know what in the world happened to my boy. I was dynamited in the kingdom as a college kid because somebody decided to reach out to me. Now, from that outreach at Indiana University, Rice Brooks was the leader of the outreach. Rice is a man with whom I've walked for 38 years, one of my best buddies, an amazing evangelist. In fact, the guy, if you've seen the movie God's Not Dead, he wrote the book. He is stunning, and he's going to be here doing a seminar at George Mason University. In October, it's going to be great for our campus kids. But he and I have been friends for the entire time since that moment. And he said, Brett, you know, we've looked and tried to find fruit that came from Indiana because the church closed down about six years afterwards. He said, you're about it. He said, but I'd do it all again to get you. All the money it took, all the time. He said, I'd do it all over again. I think more should have come from the outreach than just me. But I'm awful happy that somebody sowed a seed. One seed. Are you a Christian? And for 20 minutes preached to me and that changed my life. Sowing. Why? Because that seed has power, though it's small. It's huge. Show the slide. That's a mustard seed. You're not going to find smaller seeds than that to plant. There are spores that are floating around in the air that, that do mold stuff, and they are seeds. But you can't, you can't plant them because you can't see them. The smallest seed you're going to find is that. Though it's small, it's big on the inside. And God wants us not only to plant them in people's souls, But when we plant them, all of a sudden that person becomes something that's different because a seed is supposed to do something that rocks don't when they're in the ground. They transform, they they change into something else and they begin to grow. So Jesus was not talking about the insignificance in terms of of the seed, in terms of its size. He's talking about the power Because something's on the inside that you can't tell from the outside. And when you sow a seed, you don't know what's going to happen as a result. And this is why all of us need to consider ourselves ministers. I do not care if you don't have chapter and verse. It doesn't have anything to do with you feeling qualified to be a minister. You've got a story. Has Jesus touched your life? Has he made it better than it was before? Has he helped you in any way? You have a story of hope to tell somebody else. You need to sow that seed. And you might think it's insignificant. It's too small. It doesn't matter that much. That's what Jesus was talking about. The kingdom starts small. It seems like it's nothing. But then it grows into something. It grows into this. Now, it doesn't become the biggest tree. Jesus wasn't talking about sequoias and redwoods in California. He was talking about gardens. It becomes the biggest tree 
in the garden. Something happens to that little seed. And I do a lot of gardening. I'm going to stop there. Wasn't that good? I'm learning. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I do a lot of gardening. And I plant a lot of seeds. And uh, most of the seeds that I plant produce. But none of them grow any taller than this. Tomatoes, peppers, green beans, cucumbers. I, I, I actually did some artichoke this year. We got some artichoke. Yeah, squash. None of them grow any bigger than this. And the seeds that I put in the ground are larger than the mustard seed. The mustard seed becomes a tree. Why? Because on the inside is the genetic code for it to help others. On the inside of the planting of the gospel in your soul was not just about you getting saved. It was about you becoming somebody, something to somebody else, whereby all of a sudden because of the spreading out, the stretching of your life, people want to come and nest in your house, your branches. I've told you many times, I wake up on a, on a Saturday morning or any time during the summer, and there are young boys in my house of whom names I don't know. <laughs> They're in my refrigerator. <laughs> They're in my kitchen. I, hi, my name's Brett. Who are you? <laughs> All because of my son Grant. He goes out to be with his buddies. And I'm, I'm embarrassing him. He's in the room, I know. He goes out to be with his buddies. And they do some things overnight, go rent an Airbnb. And mamas call the house of the kids who are going. And they say, just want to make sure. Is Grant going? Yeah. Okay, I'll let my kid go. They realize they, that their child can nest in his branch. How has your mustard seed grown? Do you have any branches in which people want to nest? Anybody want to spend time at your house because they experience the kingdom in ways like they never do in their own? And they aren't even coming to eat. They'll drink water. They just want to hang and just smell the air and watch the love because they didn't have mom and dad like that. They didn't have order like that. And they just want to say, I've heard, you know, June and Ward Cleaver. I saw it on TV. (laughs) TV land. I just thought it was TV. I didn't think it really happened. But here it happens. You're supposed to become something different so that others can nest in your branches. Birds of the air just find a home with you. I'm begging you, let the kingdom not only be received by you, open up your heart to get it, but let it grow through you so that others can be provided for. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for how you have benefited me and others. Help us to be people who can manifest the goodness to the world that you have given to us.